Well, hello everyone. Welcome to the Way Niagara podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Berta, and this is the second week of being weekly on the podcast, and so I'm so glad that you joined us. Today we're going to have a couple different conversations a little bit later on. Uh, Chris and Steve are going to join me, and we're going to continue in our conversation on the book of James, and that is going to be a really great conversation. And uh, But before that, I'm excited to reintroduce to the podcast my good friend, Dr. Andrew Blackwood. If you want to learn more about him, you can go to Coach Drew. And he is going to have a conversation with us today talking about the very important topic of forgiveness. And so without any further delay, let's get started. So could you just start us off by telling us, in your view, what forgiveness is and maybe what's a misperception of forgiveness that you'd like to correct? Certainly. Forgiveness, as most people who have experienced it, know that it's not just an experience, it's a process. And, you know, I think a lot of the times when we talk about it, we don't really, unless we've had some really significant hurt, we can kind of trivialize it and not make it out to be as significant as it is. So if somebody just, you know, offends you, um, slightly, it's easy to forgive. But when it's a really deep hurt, it really invites us to really think about it a whole lot more. So it is definitely a process, and it is very different for different people and different experiences. So this conversation is by no means a rule or a measure or the only way to understand and experience forgiveness. But I think it's going to be helpful to people who particularly have challenges with it. One of the th- challenges that people um, experience is that they find that saying, I forgive you, is really difficult because they think it means it's okay. What you did is okay. Or I agree that you had a right to do what you did. Or they believe that they are pardoning you from everything that you did. And those are some of the examples of what forgiveness is not necessarily saying. When I say I forgive you, it's important for me to know exactly what I'm forgiving the person for. So I can only forgive the person for what I know they've done. Not just the act, but the degree to which I've been impacted by them. So that's what really makes it very different and very difficult for some people. Um, because we don't, we're not always aware of how deep something has hurt us or why it bothers us the way that we do. And until we fully understand that, it's going to make it a whole lot more difficult to really walk through that process of forgiveness. I've heard... Somebody say that not forgiving is drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. What would you say to that? You know, I, 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 I love that, that saying, and I think there's a lot of truth to it. The only issue is, I mean, on the one hand, it acknowledges that forgiveness is a choice. It, it really is a choice. But what I like to do is help people 
really become aware of what's informing that choice what makes it so difficult for them to say those words and 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 follow through with the actions that come after those words one of the things that a lot of people they might not agree with me about this but i think they might not be aware of is that the process of forgiveness often means forgiving again and again and again and again so while it is a choice it is a cognitive process it's a it's an intentional act sometimes the emotions don't always catch up so quickly so some people think they haven't forgiven because they still feel angry and sometimes it takes a little bit of time for the emotions to catch up with the choice to forgive and other times you might be triggered by something that it, and that's going to happen for a lot of people for a lot of time for many years if you think about it this way it's kind of like a loss where someone dies or you have a a really bad breakup you walk through life the event has happened but then there are triggers you will see somebody who looks like that person or you'll you'll smell something that will bring back a memory if the person has hurt you, those same triggers are going to be happening. And you might get angry again, but it's an opportunity to forgive again, to remind yourself that you've made the choice to forgive. That's really important because I'm thinking through a certain situation where there was someone in my life that had been very hurtful to me and some of my other loved ones. And I had said for so long, I've forgiven that person. I'm not holding them responsible. But my blood would still boil whenever I thought of the person or whenever I saw them. And I think it was more about the fact that the hurt was persistent. I may have forgiven him for the thing he did last week, but he just did it again. <laughs> right? And so it's, it's not that I like it was an ongoing process. And so sometimes when we're forgiving someone or when something happens, we assume we haven't forgiven when really we're still in the middle of the offense. And in this case, this offense was over a decade. Wow. And now that it's over, now that that situation is over, I can actually say I've forgiven and I'm not triggered by it anymore. Mm-hmm. Because there isn't new right. offense. The relationship has changed. The context has changed. And I think that's part of the challenge for many people with forgiveness is that they believe that forgiveness and reconciliation are the same thing. It's part of the same package, but they're very different. And this ties in with people who struggle to forgive because they don't want to give the other person license to do it again. And that's what they right. think forgiveness. Because some people think that's what forgiveness means. I'm forgiven. And then we just go on as if nothing ever happened. And I think that's the furthest thing from the truth. Forgiveness is not this blind blanket statement and experience where everything gets wiped away, um, where we close our eyes and pretend like nothing has happened. I think forgiveness, like love, is eyes wide open. I don't have to forget. In, actu in actuality, I think it's better to remember. I know what you did, and I'm choosing to forgive, right? But 
the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation is forgiveness is really about me releasing it and me releasing you. Reconciliation is me opening the doors and engaging with you and inviting you back in. And just because I forgive you doesn't mean that you are ready for reconciliation. Right. And even I'm just thinking about a scenario where if someone would say, you know what, guys, this is all really nice, but someone has abused me, mm-hmm. whether physically or emotionally, and I feel like I need to call the authorities. Does that mean that I, I haven't forgiven? And that's part of what I was talking about when I say it's not a blank, blanket statement. There is no reparation needed. There's no consequence uh, that is appropriate when I forgive. And I think that's not true in all situations. Take, for example, when there is abuse. The reality is that person has probably been abused themselves. They've got a lot of things that are going on that are probably not going to just stop when you say I forgive you the chances are that might happen with you again or that might happen with somebody else so um, there's 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 a there's a larger discussion that I think is important to have whether you have it with somebody else or with yourself about what your forgiveness really means now I think there's a difference between wanting someone to Uh, be accountable for their actions and wanting them to suffer for their actions. And I think that is one of the things that forgiveness helps with. You talked about, you know, drinking that poison, right? And expecting somebody else to die. When When we hold on and cultivate that hatred and that anger for the other person, that is toxic for us. We think sometimes that when I don't forgive, I'm holding them back or I'm holding them accountable. I'm not giving them something that they really want because they don't deserve forgiveness. That kind of way of thinking, that kind of way of living, it permeates our souls and it actually holds us back from our own growth and our own healing. Um, So I think that that's an indication of where we are in this process of forgiveness. Not do we want people to be... Um, accountable for their actions, but more so, do we want them to suffer? Right. That makes sense, right? Because you could still, for example, testify in court mm-hmm. and say this is factually what happened. Right. But yet, ultimately, your goal is just simply for the best for that person. And that that's kind of the definition that it's come to for me is forgive. I've, I've realized I've forgiven when... I imagine the courtroom and after giving my testimony, I've said something like, but don't give them the death penalty, right? Like that it's a matter of saying, yes, there does need to be accountability. Yes. There needs to be restoration. Yes. We need to have protection in place so that other people aren't harmed. However, I'm not for punishment or Mm -hmm. for torture or for Mm -hmm. pain inflicted on them that is not just simply the response of their own actions right let their own consequences come to them don't add new ones yeah as you talk about it the having access to compassion and care 
for the same person who hurt you or hurt somebody that you love, it's very difficult. It is very difficult. And I think when we have divine help to do that, it makes it a whole lot easier. And that's why I believe it is a process because sometimes we don't have access to that compassion for that person, whether it's not, not enough time has passed for us to have healed for ourselves from that hurt, because that's part of the process as well. Now, we've talked about examples where maybe the relationship isn't going to be restored, but talk to me about how, you know, you, you've showed in your book how to give a genuine apology. Talk a little bit about a genuine, I forgive you, and in that ideal world, what would a relationship benefit from that genuine exchange? Well, I, I really believe that a relationship is as strong and can only be as strong as the individuals are emotionally healthy. So if I'm emotionally wounded, it's like trying to stand on a broken leg or to walk with a wounded leg, right? If each person is emotionally well, your relationship is gonna move forward in a more functional and healthy way. So if I haven't forgiven you in a relationship, there is going to be limited trust and limited healing and, and limited vulnerability and limited intimacy. So that relationship isn't going to be fully functional if there isn't that experience of forgiveness. Any closing thoughts on the topic of forgiveness? Forgiveness is such a profound experience that it's hard to really capture everything in, in one conversation. Totally. But if I were to say that there was one thing about forgiveness that I would encourage people to appreciate is that logically, yes, it is very personal. But I think really taking the time to understand what that means to you will help you with forgiveness. When I say I forgive this person, what am I really saying? Or when I, when I say, no, I'm not gonna forgive this person, why is that? I can't, right, I can't forgive you because that's an example of a statement that prevents people from moving forward. But woven into that statement is something that's not really true. I can't forgive this person, meaning it's impossible to forgive this person. But is that really true? No, it's always possible. You might not be able to imagine forgiving this person. You might not be able to see yourself doing it. You might not want to do it, but to tell yourself, I can't. Would it be appropriate to say to someone, I'm not ready to forgive you yet? I think it's a fair statement. I think it's a very true statement. I think there's also, again, there's benefit to digging into what that means, right? Because there, there is a process, if you will, there are two parts to it. There's a choice to forgive, and then there's when the emotions actually catch up. For some people, right. there's less time in between. But if you believe that if I forgive you, that means I can't be angry about this anymore. I, I wouldn't say that's necessarily true. 
I do think when we do forgive, it makes it easier to release that anger. But like I said before, it may come up again and again and yeah. again. Absolutely. And, and like we've been talking about, forgiveness is a process. And if this is a process that you want to talk through, feel free to reach out to us at podcast at wayniagara.ca. And thank you, Andrew, for a great conversation. Now, listeners, we are going to continue with our conversation on the book of James right after this. Andy Stanley posed a question that every angry man and woman needs to consider. How long are you going to allow people you don't even like? People who are no longer in your life, maybe even people who aren't even alive anymore, to control your life? How long? Take a moment to consider it. Then take it one step further by asking, what do I need to do to change this pattern? So diving into James chapter 1, verse 2, we're going to hit a bombshell moment here from the author James, who we literally, if we circle back to number one, he says, greetings, right? He's like, hey, Jews, what's up? Greetings. And then he follows it up with this little bomb. <laughs> and this is what I think is funny, and it kind of shows us a bit of James's personality. He says, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Have you ever like called your siblings or your parents and been like, hey guys, you know what brings great joy? Going through trials. No, I have never done that. I love when bad things happen. You know what should bring us... Uh, excitement is when we're persecuted and when people hate us because of our faith and because of our actions. Doesn't that make you joyful? I think my inside response is to run like crazy from a person like that, no? If I was greeted at church by a greeter who was like, Hey, how are your trials and stuff going? That stuff's great, good for you. When you just book leave yeah. turn around leave like hey thanks for your consideration i'm out of here yeah good on you buddy enjoy that yeah it's kind of strange but i have a feeling that james was saying you know these things are good they're signs of of that what we're doing is changing culture it's changing cultural perspective right because he's so entrenched into this religious jewish structure that him and him and peter are co-pastoring or co-apostles of that is so religious and as they're changing the way that the religious view themselves and view their scripture and view their eternity they're being met with incredible resistance how often do we resist when when change comes Every time. Yeah. I think like back to a couple podcasts ago where we talked to my brother AJ about pivoting, right? The pivot is a, is a, is a spiritual response, like keeping one foot planted and, and turning your perspective is a spiritual response to growth as a religious leader, but also recognizing that culture is changing, right? 
and that the church, our church culture and the culture around us has to pivot. And that's what James is, is highlighting here. We are under fire because we have to pivot our thinking, our perspective on our faith in order to uh, perpetuate the goodness of God and advance his kingdom for the sake of redeeming souls, right? Bringing lives back to the knowledge of the Savior, Messiah, who was, in fact, James's brother. You know, it's a stunning thought. The next thing he kind of touches on is this. And so he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You want some longevity? You want to be able to endure? Allow your faith to be tested. See your response when you're persecuted because of your faith. See your response when people are asking hard questions. Do you just want to run? Do you want to throw angry angry uh, emojis at them on the internet? What is it you're doing that shows your spiritual maturity in those times of trials? I often find myself, you know, questioning why. Why do people ask me these questions? Why do people ask me, like, for evidence for things like can't they just google you know Mm -hmm. and i find it annoying that even like christians who've been in the church a long time seem to not understand some of the most simple commands in scripture do you ever experience that jordan i mean you you're working for the prayer line there you must have some like some real stories of like people asking you hard questions. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of it being, especially when, you know, you read Proverbs or you read James and it tells you, like it gives you good wisdom and it gives you, you know, a lot of the right things to do. And so a lot of times I get the question, like I did the thing that the Bible told me to do and it's still not going well. Mm-hmm. Why is it not working? Mm-hmm. And and I don't always know how to answer. Like every time the question's asked, it's in relation to a specific issue. Yeah. But I find that that is not how our faith works. Like we don't. We are not a a faith system that is about earning mm-hmm. results. No, right. And and that can be both very comforting because we can't earn it, but it can also be frustrating because sometimes when you feel like you're doing everything right mm-hmm. and things still aren't coming together the way you want them to, it presents with to real frustration and anger. And I've talked to people that feel like you know, that they're like a couple steps away from just walking away from God because they've, in their words, followed the wisdom of the scriptures, but are not at the moment seeing the results that they they want. Hmm. 
because you can't always happy meal Jesus, eh? Right. Yeah. Hmm. I find that infuriating about our culture, in my perspective. I think because consumerism has been at an all-time high, and our generation now, you know, the old millennials and young millennials and Gen Z, we're all kind of looking at consumerism and going like, this isn't working anymore. And it hasn't worked. And we're about to really experience massive uh, geopolitical changes economical forecasting is apocalyptic when it comes to the future of of employment and 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 like there'll be more jobs than there are people to work um we're already seeing it yeah and and there's so many um gatekeepers in place in our culture to try and that are just trying to they're make, really, they're just there to, to, to funnel money away from people in many ways. Like having to pay this organization for authority to do the work you want to do and pay, 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 pay. There's so many hands out, right? That as a, as a culture, we're starting to go, this doesn't work anymore. We got to take out the gatekeepers and we got to get back to like training people to be good, faithful stewards of their time for our businesses and part of that is producing endurance because i have so many friends right now who are running businesses and they're like i just wish people would show up to work i can pay them all kinds of money they just have to show up to work i have friends who have incredible businesses that most people would be you know 10 years ago would have been quitting their jobs to go work for these guys to work these incredible positions and they can't get people to stay. They can't get people to show up to work even to earn their paycheck. Like we have a culture that's consumed so much yet we have no endurance. We don't know how to work. We don't know how to, you know, put in a, a solid eight hour work day. And here we're hearing these statistics that, that the Gen Z's, actually would prefer a 12 to 14 hour work day and work maybe three days a week rather than five days a week and have five days off and then jump back in or however they they structure their work week like how much is our world going to change in the next five years as the gen z's take over the workforce Mm -hmm. it's going to change a lot and the implications of that is massive so I just had a thought. Uh, we didn't really define endurance, and that's something that I don't think a lot of people necessarily have thought much about. So if you're wondering about endurance, I dug into it briefly just to see what what exactly is James looking for here. And what it looks like is when he says endurance, he's talking about you're able to face trials that become progressively harder. You can face this tomorrow. You can face something more difficult because you face that today. Maybe in two days you can face something even stronger or something bigger. Uh, one pastor actually said it's it's a level up system. Mm-hmm. As time goes on, you level up, you get more resistant, more resilient, and you can move on to the next thing. I like that. Because it actually points to the next scripture, which is James 4 says this, and let endurance have its full effect. Which is cool because if we're talking about it from like that video game standpoint, like that char- character building, having endurance as it levels up, it will eventually have full effect. You'll have full health. You'll have full stamina, whatever that represents. 
And it says that to let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So endurance is a part of maturity. Yeah. And without that, endurance and maturity. You're immature and incomplete. We're incomplete. And then it finally caps that whole sentence with lacking nothing. Mm-hmm. That is wild stuff. Like this guy is not pulling punches. He's come in saying, take, take joy in your trials. Take joy in the pain that we're experiencing as a growing movement, as a church plant, starting to infiltrate and change culture because it's going to bring good fruit to us as we grow our, our faith and produce endurance. That endurance will then have full effect on our life. And then we will find ourselves walking in maturity and completion where we are lacking nothing. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's intense. What does it mean to lack nothing? Do you, like, I look at my life and I think of all these things I can do to improve. Like I could be a better guitar player, spend more time practicing, right? I could spend more time with my friends and do do better. Like I could pour more time into discipling people even more than I already am. Like I see that there's opportunity to build and release people to build. And so imagine lacking nothing. It's so hard. So hard. I, I, I love the idea that you can get to a place where you're lacking nothing. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine on the prayer line, Jordan, like having answers for people, like not lacking in that. And I believe that that is where a faith, a mature faith will take you, right? Either that or using chat GPT to get your answers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Good old chat GPT. We thank God for AI. Yeah. Yeah. No, but in in all seriousness, I, I do wish I could do that. Like... There are many times when someone's asking a question and I'm frustrated, not at them, for them, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I wish I had an answer. That's right. I wish I could actually say, this is why, and this is, if you do these next five things, this is the result you're going to get, because that's the way my mind has been conditioned to to think, but we are not, and we've talked about this with the book that we went through before, like we are not dealing in transactional, in a transactional relationship with God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that can be hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's powerful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing because God can do far better than we could ever pay for. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I'm like, man can i just give you a tip and just make this one work out yeah yeah well here's here's what's crazy too like if you if you look back right we're we're talking about the full effect maturity completion lacking nothing it cycles right back to the beginning where he says consider a great joy great joy is a component of being mature and complete right finding yourself just enraptured in joy where, you know, even the trials, even the sweat equity that you might be putting in, even 
the um, you know the late nights that you spend crying with people um, and crying for people, there's still an underpinning of joy, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that our culture and our churches lack so much these days. It's just a simple joy to fellowship with one another. Also a simple joy to just recognize how privileged we are to worship freely at this point in this country. Yeah. And I think for me, maybe that's one thing that when we're talking about lacking, I want more of. I want more joy. I want to be able to say that I I have joy right now. But we're surrounded, right, with such negativity at times and such a barrage of this Christian nationalism and, you know, we're being told that the church is under siege, but, you know, it, it breaks my heart to think that our faith is so diluted that we have to uh, surrender pieces of our joy to believing that, you know, there's a greater plan to kill us out there. And so these people... I mean, they've lost joy because they, they've, they haven't found strength to endure this, the testing. Instead, they've, they've created an attack narrative, right? We're being attacked. And I, I, I'm not saying I, I, I don't think there is some attack in it, but it's probably well-deserved from some of the ignorance that I've heard from people that I would have previously viewed as mature Christians. They were lacking integrity. Because maturity and integrity is not about Bible knowledge. That's right. Mm -hmm. There are people that are far more intelligent and far more studied that don't have a mature faith. It can help, but that's not knowing how to, you know, memorize scripture mm-hmm. on its own will not make you mature. That's right. Yep. You can know all you want. And let me get controversial here. Satan can quote scripture. Amen. He has. He yeah, has. He does. <laughs> and he does. That's right. And so, and again, this is not saying we don't memorize scripture, we don't learn. I'm not saying that at all. But that is not the mark of maturity or integrity. Mm-hmm. Well, so the mark of maturity and integrity is endurance and joy. Beauty. And now we can roll into like our next verse here in chapter 5. that says, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Okay qualifies you should ask and then he just jumps in even more uh, passionately and says God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him if you lack wisdom ask God who is generous and does not hold a grudge and he will give it to What do you lack in wisdom in? Too much. (laughs) Isn't that funny? 
It's telling us that the source of wisdom is God. And he does not withhold wisdom from you. He gives it generously. And then there's a next part, ungrudgingly. Right? How many people have given you something grudgingly? Like, all right, I'll let you borrow the car. If I have to. Right? And he's like, no, no. God wants you to be wise. He's going to give you as much wisdom as you ask for. And he just wants to heap that on your life, that wisdom. What could you do with wisdom today that you you need for today? And I think this is so awesome because we're talking about mental health and wellness as a core conversation constantly at way in all of our circles. It doesn't matter where you are. And especially you'll find it at our wellness group, right? Wisdom is so required. Endurance and joy and wisdom. If we start to just turn ourselves to developing and finding ways to encourage the people that are coming, seeking help with their mental health struggles to find joy, even though that's going to be hard. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Joy in the midst of a storm of depression is hard. Joy in the midst of a, of a storm of anxiety is near impossible. Yeah, that's how it feels. Yeah. But the endurance of that, right? Getting to the other side with your faith intact. And then asking for wisdom of how, what to do next. Like that's, that's almost a, a complete layout of how our structure for that program works. Mm-hmm. And part of, I think, part of the challenge is that in a consumer mindset, Mm -hmm. it is hard to find joy because we think we bought everything. Yeah. We think we earned everything. Because it's always made me think, like, the amount of times I've talked to missionaries that have been to places in the world that have, you know, incredible poverty, but yet... They are seemingly the most grateful and joyful people. Yeah, the most fulfilled people I've ever met are the people that have always had the least. Yeah. And because I think they know something that we don't always get. Well, let, let and me, that is our provision comes from God. Mm-hmm. Let me dive in with this story, I think, as we talk about maturity and consumerism and, you know, how it overlaps. So today, my daughter... She was in a fight with her sisters. And so to defuse the fight, I took her out for lunch to her favorite place in the world, New York Fries. We both got a poutine. Okay, poutine. And they're not cheap at New York Fries, right? This is expensive poutine. So we come home and we're sitting down at the dinner table uh, like hours later. And she finds out that her sisters had got frozen lemonade from Tim Hortons. And she was so offended that she didn't get frozen lemonade. Even though she had just gone and got a very expensive poutine, which is her favorite thing. And to her, to justify her offense was, yeah, but it's not sugary. They got way more sugar today than I did. I looked at her and went, wow. You do not get it. And sometimes I feel like God looks at the church like that a bit. You guys just aren't getting it right now. 
you're so caught up in what everyone else has that looks good and it's sugary, but you don't realize how much cost what I've given you already has. You're not looking at the cost that, that was given up for you. I want that to set in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I believe as we start to diffuse our cultural anxieties, we're going to find ourselves with a lot more than we thought we had. Simply because the God who gives generously and ungrudgingly of wisdom will give it. And that's what we need. Way more wisdom. (laughs) Way more. Verse 6 says this. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. It feels like a, a big shift from our last portion of scripture where we're talking about counting things joy in the face of trials. It seems like a big shift from finding maturity and completion, lacking nothing, discovering wisdom that God gives wisdom generously and ungrudgingly to those who ask. And our next thought is, but let him ask in faith without doubting for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. I struggle with this. Yeah. I was struggling with this on the way here. <laughs> you know, how, how experienced in our faith we are, right? Yeah. You know, I'm in my 41st year of life. And there are times where I'm like, do I really believe this? Do I really believe not my, not my faith, but like just a, a piece of the puzzle. Do I really believe that God heals the sick? See, my problem's always, I can believe that God can do it. I don't always believe he'll do it for me. Mm. See, that's wild. Because it throws almost right back at that. He, he should ask in verse 5, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given. And that's not just talking about stuff, right? We're talking yeah, about yeah. wisdom. But I think like wisdom and faith are hand in hand here, right? Mm-hmm. So let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Have you ever experienced that in someone who you're trying to disciple? Like there's this little seed of doubt and they're just like tossed back and forth. It's like, oh, I don't know. I think this way today or I think this way or I think this or I think this. Like, and they, they, they're just back and forth on a topic. Do you ever experience that? You must experience that on prayer lighting. Well, absolutely. Because there's that debate in your in your mind in your heart where you're like I have seen things happen, mm-hmm. but this one doesn't seem to be working. All these other things have been so great. This one isn't. Yeah, yeah. So is God is God stopping here? Yeah, <laughs> like, God's taking a break. Is, yeah. yeah, like how does this work? What? And there seems to sometimes be no rhyme or reason. Yeah. There's no formula. Yeah. There is no formula, and people it drives people. Yeah. It drives me crazy. Yeah. Why did this thing that I was sure was going to fail end up 
finding a really good result. And then the thing that I most desperately wanted didn't work out. Mm -hmm. How do I explain that? What do I yep. know? And, and one thing that there was, I was listening to a teaching on prayer. And there's some, just a couple really powerful thoughts that I'd like to share on this. And one is when it comes to things like that, oftentimes there will come a time that you're glad that God didn't answer that request. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And that's a hard one because yeah. oftentimes we are asking for things that are very near and dear to our hearts. But ultimately, there are going to be times in our lives that we're going to be thankful that God didn't do it. Well, and maybe we're not going to feel that or know that on this side of eternity. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the other one is, I love this, is prayer is not about getting man's will done in heaven, but God's will done on earth. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And sometimes we are so focused on getting our will accomplished hmm. that that allows us to be disappointed in God. That allows us to carry extra anxiety. It allows us a lot of opportunity for doubt. Yeah. Yep. And so here, here's what I want to kind of throw in a disclaimer here, because it can seem like heavily like we're criticizing the church and the religious structure, but this is the tone of James. You have to recognize that James was written to a religious people who are coming out of religious oppression into experiencing the freedom of the belief in Christ Jesus and the emerging church at the time. And we are experiencing the same thing, you know, 2000 years later here now, um, as religious structures are failing people constantly, the, the structure of the consumerized religion is just, it's almost done, mm. you know, and, and our tone is not to be completely critical, but to recognize its downfall and the things that, that ruined it for so many people. And here James is saying the same thing. Yeah. Well, this is a really good place to end our conversation today. And listeners, I do hope that you join us again next week as we continue in the book of James. And we continue just having great conversations about life, faith, um, health, whether it be community health, spiritual health, mental health. It is all a part of our lives. It is all very important. Now, if you want to know more about what is going on at Way, whether it is our weekly Sunday services starting in October or our mental health groups or anything else, you can go to wayniagara.ca or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for tuning in. Bye for now. <laughs>